You're listening to Pastor Jared Ruddy of City Lights Church. Great to be here. If you have your Bible, open with me to Matthew 22. If you don't have a Bible, the one in the seat back in front of you, I encourage you to follow along. Great to be here this morning on Resurrection Sunday. It's important um, that you know, in case you're not here regularly at church, um, is that the resurrection is not something that we just talk about once a year. Um, This isn't just kind of something that we rush past and then go on to other things in Christianity, but the resurrection is the centerpiece and really what holds Christianity together. Um, I want to say this, Christianity is is not um, the right religion. We, we have a tendency to view Christianity as if um, we're just offering the right religion in contrast to other religions that are wrong. Um, while we can make truth claims as Christians, the primary thrust of what we're trying to say is not just, this is right religion. What we're trying to say is that God in Christ has ended, deconstructed, exploded the whole idea and concept of religion. What I mean by that is that Jesus says this, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. He doesn't say, if you follow me, this is the way. He says, I am the way, that Christ himself is the way. So God comes in human form in Jesus, lives a perfect life, and is still forsaken by God on the cross. On the cross, his last words are what? My God, my God, why do you forsake me? And he commits his spirit to God. In other words, Jesus is, in, for all intents and purpose, uh, purposes, he is the perfect Christian and still is killed for it. He's the perfect one and God still says, I'm not accepting you on the basis of those things. I'm accepting you though and your sacrifice, your substitution on your behalf for the rest of humanity. So God comes and explodes this idea that I can come to him on the basis of my works. Rather, we come to him on the basis of Christ absorbing death in his physical body. So that Jesus is the perfect Christian, and he's still rejected. He's still rejected by God. But he's not rejected by God as in that God doesn't want him. He's rejected by God in that he is including all of humanity in that rejection and is now offering us his acceptance. I'll say it like this. The symbol of Christianity is not just the cross. It's the empty tomb. Now, we, we don't have like necklaces for empty tombs that we want to walk around with. But the cross without the resurrection is very, very, very bad news. And Jesus is not the only person to be crucified. He's not the only moral or religious leader to be crucified. But he is the only perfect, righteous person to be crucified. So without the resurrection... The cross is nothing. The cross is nothing. The cross is nothing without the resurrection. It's just simply death. But the scripture tells us that he's resurrected, and in doing so, it's not that just some dead guy came to life, but in the middle of human history, Christ breaks in in resurrection and offers. What he means by that is that that this world still matters right now. Right now. We tend to, unfortunately, as spiritual people, sometimes think that like uh, Christianity is all about everything that I can't touch, feel, taste, or smell. It's all about the sixth sense. Not the movie or anything, but you know what I mean. 
Like it's all about like, like religion is all about the, something that's existential and something that I can't touch. But the resurrection shows us that we don't live in this sort of material and immaterial world. Jesus comes in the middle of human history and says, this world matters and I'm interested in restoring it right now. So Jesus, it sounds odd to think about the cross in that way, but Jesus is the perfect Christian and he's forsaken by God. But he's not forsaken by God permanently. The scripture tells us that after three days he rose. So Matthew chapter 22, how many people are there? Okay, that didn't work. All right. Matthew 22, look to the person beside you and say, you're invited. I know no one's going to do that, so try that again. Matthew chapter 22, this is a beautiful story. There's a parable of a wedding feast, and I I love this text. The scripture says that Jesus tries to to explain what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he likens it unto a wedding feast. Now, it's important to know that when he says the kingdom of heaven is like... Jesus is not describing heaven here. So much of spiritual people, spiritually minded people, or Christians for that matter, tend to equate Jesus' message primarily about escaping this world and going to be with him in heaven. That is not what Jesus teaches us about. If you place faith in him, you have hope as his savior, you will spend eternity with God in heaven. But that's not what Jesus speaks about. Sometimes I get around Christians and they really make me nervous because it sounds incredibly strange. It's almost like they have this fascination with dying. Almost like, I can't wait to die. And it's like, well, I kind of want to live right now. And I understand that what's to come is greater. But when Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven... He's not talking about heaven out there. He's talking about how God's activity in this world takes place now, in the here and now. What does heaven on earth look like? He describes it like this. There's a king who sends out a wedding invitation for his son. A feast for his son. Verse 3. And his servants called to those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And again he sent out servants saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Verse 5, But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready. But those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the road, and they gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. Okay, so, interesting. This king sends out an invitation to a feast. That God likens his activity on the world to a party, which is probably the most unspiritual imagery that you can tell because most Christians, I'm sorry, but when you talk to them, it looks like you're foreclosing on their home when you're talking about Jesus. It's very serious. You know, Thank you, Mike. Somebody got that. It's very overly serious that God is primarily concerned about our behaviors and if I'm treating people nice and, and this idea of a party and religious people, often it's religious people that hate to party. They hate the party. If you find someone that's really religious, they can't stand a good party. I mean, it just makes them nervous and upset, 
and you're already starting, some of you are already starting to calculate, well, what kind of party is there? What is he talking about, party? Is it a right, that, you're the one I'm talking about, okay? Just relax, take a deep breath. So the kingdom of heaven is like a party, it's this invitation, it's this feast, and it's great. And he sends this out, but people reject it, they ignore it. They, they're not interested in the party. And there's two groups of people that get this invitation. And in the seats here today, as well as in our city, people um, receive this same sort of invitation. And the first type are the people that really don't care whatsoever. You could really give, rip, uh, give a rip about a free party. Like, who gives a rip about a free party? You know, and it says that they're too busy, they go off to their business. They're too busy, frankly, being winners. They're, they're so busy just making their career, taking pictures of their kids on Instagram and showing that their kids are better than your kids. They're so busy climbing the ladder, the career ladder, that they are winners. And when they get an invitation to a party, they look at it and they go, I don't have time for this because I'm not getting paid for this. It's free. It's stupid. I don't want to be there. I just don't want to be involved. Then the other response to this, so that's the religious response. The religious response is that if it's not something I do, I earn, I work for, I make it happen, then who cares about something that's free, that's celebrating somebody else and not me? Because religion at its core is always about celebrating us. And we might tack in the name of Jesus on it, lift our hands and stuff, but at the end of the day, we kind of like celebrate our spirituality, our works, our efforts, our energies, our ability to, you know, so something free is like, ah, it's dumb, it's useless. So the other side of this, though, is that you have people that are not only religious, but irreligious, and they're angry at the invitation. I don't know, maybe you're here this morning and you're like that, or you have friends or family that are like that, that it's not only, you know, maybe you just got drug to church here, which I'm very, I very apologize if somebody drug you to church. It's a terrible place to get drugged, but here we are. Might as well make the best of it now. <laughs> Just jump in. So the irreligious response, though, is angry. And not only does it just say, I don't want to go to a free party. No, I'm angry and I'm going to kill you. I'm going to seize you, torture you, and kill you. And we have this sort of thing demonstrated in the new atheist movement. Someone like Richard Dawkins, who I'm not angry at whatsoever, but the guy's angry at everybody and everyone for no apparent reason. He's just angry. It's constant, like, right? And it's almost this thing, it's like, not only you're not allowed to go to the party, but I'm angry if you're going to go to the party. And it's kind of these two responses to God's invitation to us. Now, as you go on, this is interesting because... Sometimes uh, the idea of judgment in our society and day, when we think about God, is a very uneasy feeling. Because you see this, that the king is angry in response, and he sends his, tro- his troops and destroys the murderers and burns their city. Now, that kind of is like, hold on, what? That doesn't sound very nice. I'll say this. First, notice that no one is excluded from the kingdom of God that is not first invited. Number two, that God's judgment is not only righteous, but it is a form of grace. Now, I know you don't want to believe that, but let me say it like this. I have had friends and family members that are in relationships that the other person is leading them on, but never really makes the choice to be in love. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been there, done that, been around somebody like that, and the person's like, I love you, I just don't know if I'm in love with you. You're like, hold on, what? Like, okay, I, I don't speak that, whatever that language is. 
Now, when a person makes the decision and says, I'm sorry, I have to cut this off because this is not going anywhere. Is that judgment? Yes. Is it righteous as far as our capacity as humans? Yes. But it's actually an incredibly form of, incredible form of grace to seal a person's final decision rather than allowing them to hang out in limbo. And God's judgment towards humanity is not excluding people altogether. It's him inviting everyone and only making a final stamp on something, a decision of a person already made. Do you tracking with me? The idea of hell, the idea of God's separation and judgment is not God's anger towards people. God's anger, his wrath has been absorbed in Christ. Hell is only God's finality of putting on a person the decision that they've already made. I understand, I don't like it, but listen, if you're ever in a relationship for two years, three years, four years, five years, and you're like, can we do this? And the other person's like, I'm not sure if I'm in love. Then you'll understand that that's hell on earth. Going on. Scripture tells us this, that go therefore, I love this, into the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Then he says this, go and invite those both bad and good. Notice the intentional reverse of what that would be. You would think that God would invite the good, and if there's enough room, we invite the bad. But God invites the bad and then the good to show us that the gospel, the invitation to walk with God, is not to make good people better. It is to make bad people and broken people whole. It's not to make good people better. Invite bad people into this wedding feast. Verse 11, watch this. Then the king comes, and he looks at the guests, and he says, there's a man who doesn't have a wedding garment. And he said to them, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot, and cast them out to the utter darkness. In the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Again, that's like, man, right when you started to feel like it's for the bad and the good, then you're like, hold on, what? Does anybody else feel that? Kind of that sinking disappointment the moment you see that? You're like, I started to feel God was on my side again. He was good. And then next thing you know, he's kicking people to outer darkness and binding hand and feet, which is a really uncomfortable position. So, nobody was paying attention to that. So, get him into outer darkness. Now, what's interesting about this, though, is that he asks him something interesting. Friend, where is your garment? Now, we can assume, very clearly, logic shows us, that in this text, if both bad and good, and somebody sticks out for not having a wedding garment on, those wedding garments were provided free of charge. There was no cost to it. But yet somebody, again tries to sneak into the kingdom of heaven on the basis of something that they earn, they provide, they do, something that they're wearing, and you stick out like a sore thumb, rather than the, both the bad and the good are all clothed together in the garments of Christ's righteousness. He says, friend, how did you get in here? You stick out. This is offered to all humanity, this invitation. Now, a few years ago, I was invited to a party, and long story short, it was probably the best party I've ever been to in my life. When you got there, you're like, wow. And I was expecting to be disappointed, and I, my mind was blown by it, and I, you know what I'm talking about. It was great. So I had an awesome party we were at. It was just an incredible time. Incredible, incredible, incredible time. 
And I left from that thing. Now, what's interesting uh, is parties. Okay, how do I say this? When, when I met my wife, Erin, she is a party animal. Now, I know if you're religious, that's making you very nervous because you're trying to figure out if I'm allowed to say that. But I did. So you're going to have to grapple with that. My wife loves to party. Now, I'm not talking about your, maybe your concept of party is drunk and high. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about have a good time, just laugh. That's my definition of a party here, in case you're getting very, very nervous. So when I met Erin, though, she, she asked me, we went to a wedding, and she's like, do you like to dance? And I was like, no. And the look of just sheer um, confusion, I don't want to say disappointment because it was almost like she didn't even have a category in her mind for people that don't like to dance. Like when I said no, she's like, huh? How many people are like that? You love a good dance party. Yeah. How many people are like, I don't like to dance at all? All right. Now, this is interesting. So when Aaron said that to me, um, you know, do you like to dance? She didn't have a category for it. And I was, I was stuck having this invitation, this beautiful woman who I knew I was in love with, asking me, do you dance and do you want to dance? And I'm like, I don't. And a few years prior to meeting Aaron, I took this girl out and uh, went to a dance, actually. And uh, it was a kind of a, a dance party and stuff like that. And, you know, she was like, do you dance? I was like, no. She's bad to not dance at a dance party, in case you're wondering. Like, that's not good. So I remember in contrasting these two scenarios, both of them, that I was, I was kind of stuck. Like, here's this invitation to this, like, you know, this wedding feast. That when God talks about how he does life on earth, he's not as serious as we think he is. Now, he's serious in one way, but he's incredibly unserious in another way. And I remember being stuck, and that, that girl that I first took out, I couldn't do it. I couldn't dance. I just couldn't do it. I was, I was so self-conscious, I was fearful, I was nervous, I was worried, and I was just, it just didn't work. Have you ever been there, anyone? You know what I'm talking about? And I remember being stuck in this thing, but yet when I met Aaron, I was in the same situation, but this time, I was in love. And I had to make a choice that I was going to die to my old life and be resurrected in the palm of her hand. All right, I had this choice that either I'm going to hold on to my fear and insecurities and worries and nervousness and all of that, but if I do, just like the other girl, which in hindsight I'm glad didn't work out, not that because she's, don't, she's not like a terrorist or anything, don't worry. I'm just like, everyone is like, I'm glad it didn't work out. No, she's a fine person. It just wasn't, I wasn't in love with her nor her with me. But something about that invitation 
when I responded to that invitation, I had a choice to let go of my old life and be resurrected in something brand new on the dance floor. Now, I don't know if you've been with me to a wedding recently, but I can say I've experienced a resurrection. (laughs) So I performed a wedding a few months ago. I had, you know, everyone is just getting pounded with alcohol. I performed the wedding, and I was dancing harder than everyone else, (laughs) which was really great. And everyone's kind of like, aren't you the... I'm like, yeah, man. I'm like, shut up and dance, right? Like, let's do this thing. Now... The, the, the reason I'm saying that is this is interesting. Because this, this, is, this idea of a dance floor, I want you to see is that, that it's, this beaut- it's actually a beautiful picture of the Christian life. It really is. Christian life, you have those on the outside looking in. And you're so worried and you're so nervous and you're so fearful and you're so concerned. And then there's this wild thing. How many people would just agree with me? Just lift your hand if you agree that when you're dancing, you don't even notice the people outside of the dance floor. The people that are actually dancing could care less about how concerned you are about yourself. We're too busy having a blast. We're too busy resurrected. We're too busy alive to remember what death was like. And I'm trying to paint this contrast for you. So here's an interesting thing. This wedding invitation, it's a feast, it's a party, it's a dance, it's this invitation to a new life. When when we make Christianity about something other than joy, love, passionate relationship with God, it becomes this really weird, sterile form of religion. It's really strange. It becomes really uptight concerned about everything and anything. We place values and morals on things that have no room for uh, values and morals. Now, and I'm not just saying religious people do that. We do that with our Fitbits that we walk around with. Did I have a good day walking? Like, what do you mean? You know what I mean? Like, we, we attach morals to things. Why? Because in our heart of hearts, we're longing for justification. We're longing to be at peace, to feel right, to feel at home. We're longing for those sorts of feelings, like every single one of us. So whether you're at work and you're competing to outdo the person beside you, or you're staring at your Fitbit, or you're avoiding gluten, whatever it is, you're longing to somehow be justified. It's... You know, it's amazing. I was talking with a friend of mine just a couple weeks ago about this, this fascination with gluten as if it's this demonic entity. And if you're allergic to it, avoid it, you know, as if any other allergy you have. But if you're not, and I'm not, if, listen, if you're allergic, I'm not making fun of you. It's an allergy, I understand. But if you're not allergic to it, it you're not allergic to it. I don't know how to tell you that. Like, if there's nothing that's going, if there, it's not bad. And this, uh, my friend, his little five-year-old daughter came home and I was kind of joking with him about this gluten fascination because we're all longing and to, to be justified and to be right and that I'm in the know and you're out of the know and that sort of thing. And his five-year-old daughter comes home and, and uh, her, his, her mom, uh, his mom puts out like a little thing for her to eat and she's like, I can't eat that. And she's like, why not? She's like, I'm allergic to gluten. My five-year-old, he's like, daughter, he's like, Isabel, you're not allergic to gluten. 
So-and-so told me I am. What? Gluten? So now you've got this five-year-old that's all worried about gluten. Why? Because at the end of the day, if we could just slap a, a label on something that says organic, free-range, something or other, then I can feel that I'm right. And listen, I'm not saying that eat healthy, eat organic, do whatever you want. But the premise of it is that we're looking for justification because we're standing on the outside trying to figure out how can I find the resurrection and life that I long for so I'll just attach it to all of these meaningless things all the while God's free party is offered for us. Now, this is interesting. A a wedding feast, who picks up the tab? Generally speaking, who's supposed to? Don't get bitter here if it didn't work for you, but the father of the bride. The church is the bride of Christ. The only thing that we have to do with this invitation is show up and let him pay the tab. This is the picture of the gospel. This is the picture of grace, is that when we come to the Lord's table, which we're not celebrating today, is that we are drinking in and eating in of somebody else is paying the bill. Not us. Somebody else has picked up the tab, not me. This morning, I want to challenge you, as you think about the resurrection, as you think about this, is that we have a choice. And sometimes, I was, I was talking to Jesse, I said, I think we're, we're so nervous as Christian leaders, and I, I think Jesse does a, Pastor Jesse does a wonderful job at this, but we, we're so busy sometimes trying to address behaviors without ever addressing the heart. We're just so busy trying to get people to be nice and play fair that we never really deal with the issue of the heart. But there's this wild thing. When I said yes to Aaron, my yes to being married to her is a resounding no to so many other things. And as Christian leaders and as hearers of the gospel, sometimes we are so busy trying to say no, that we build our relationship on what we avoid rather than walking into a newness of life. Let me explain it like this. So I'm nervous to pick this up because I'm probably going to make a mess, but I'm going to go for it. Let's say, isn't that pretty? Beautiful. Let's just enjoy it for a second. few of us, everyone else doesn't care. I think it's nice. Okay. I don't know why I pet the flower. It doesn't do anything to do that, but just work with me here. Let's say that this is a beautiful vase, or as those that are a little more high-cultured, vase or whatever, okay? <laughs> whatever, I don't even know if, if I cursed when I said that, but whatever it is, okay. Instead of something purchased at Wegmans. It's so beautiful, though. So if this is this, this vase, vase, and I bring this thing home, okay, and... Aaron and I are living life. Aaron's my wife, in case you're trying to connect dots there. Um, This is a vase that's in our house. Now, does she want me to pick this thing up, which I'm not going to do? That would be a dramatic effect. And throw it on the ground. Does she want me to do that? No. No. Why? It's going to make a mess. It's uh, maybe something she values. It's maybe something that she desires in the house. And, and it's important. It's important to her. It's just a vase. I mean, to you, this is just a, a lily from Wegmans, but to me, it's a vase. And if I pick that thing up and threw it on the ground, it makes a mess. It's a disaster. Now, here's the thing. Is my relationship with Aaron, 
is she going to divorce me over a broken vase? I sure hope not. If I did, my relationship with her is pretty well shallow. Now, here's the interesting thing. The opposite side of it is my relationship with my wife is not dependent on the fact that I don't break this every day when I come home. I don't come to Aaron and I'm like, honey, how are we? Can we sit down and have our daily, uh, you know, just kind of, how, how am I doing as a husband today? You, know, you notice I haven't broken the vase. <laughs> you know, I haven't shattered that recently. Like, well, you have worked through your random breaking of things. I'm like, well, thank you, honey. It's because I love you. I love you. What if I was so nervous everywhere I went with my wife, everywhere I went, that I was constantly concerned about this vase all the time. That was it. Like, every time I'm like, Aaron, are you upset at me? Why? Uh, did I not clean the vase? Did I get too close? Do you feel like I'm going to break it? Are you nervous that I'm going to break it? Like, are you concerned about this? Sooner or later, Aaron would look at me, because I know my wife, and she'd just say in the kindness of her Christian heart, Jared, shut up. Like, who cares about, like, that, the point of this? Watch this. I love the vase, but I love you more than the vase. Now, what I mean by that is, watch this. Romans chapter 6 talks about resurrection. And it says that if you've experienced grace, don't go on sinning. Don't go on sinning. But walk in the newness of life. Now, what does he mean by that? If I pick this thing up, and chucked it on the ground right now. I'm feeling like I want to. I don't know if you feel that suspense. I'm feeling it. I just want to chuck this thing as hard as I can, but just get dirt everywhere. <laughs> Who's cleaning this week? <laughs> You're forgiving, so we'll, I'm kidding. If I do that, if I, if I pick that up, watch this. My, my relationship... Is it going to cause a mess? Yeah. Is it going to be stupid that I did it? Yeah. But is my relationship still there? Yes. But here's the thing. When I said yes to Aaron, I start to realize that there's certain things. In my saying yes to one thing, I say no to something else. My yes to loving Jesus, I don't have to, my relationship with him is not built on saying no to everything. When I'm focused on saying yes to him, I'm not all concerned about these things like vases. I'm not concerned about, like when I said yes to Aaron, I don't have to constantly every day wake up and be like, I'm not going to cheat on my wife. I'm not going to cheat on my wife. I'm not going to cheat on my wife. That doesn't mean that there's not temptation or struggle or some sort of thing in the mind. But what I'm saying is this. That when I say yes to Jesus, when I'm resurrected with him, there's this new capacity for life. I hope this helps somebody. There's a newness of life on the dance floor that I'm so busy dancing with the person that I love that my relationship is not on the outside looking in, trying to figure out, am I right? Am I wrong? Did I break this? Did I not break it? Did I obey this? Did I not obey this? I'm so captivated by the free invitation that I've died to an old life. I've said yes to a new one. I hope that helps somebody. Can I throw this now? I'm kidding. <laughs> I was like, do it. That would just be... I have to say, I've contemplated three times since I held that to accidentally pretend like it slipped. <laughs> three times. It went through my mind, but I chose not to. Okay. I'm just, I'm growing in self-control. 
Closing, closing thoughts. Watch this. Here's this invitation, this beautiful party. But it's free. And you either choose to come to it or you don't. And with that, the invitation inside of that thing, it comes with the righteousness. It comes with the garments. It comes with everything you need. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? Kenny, would you come and just we'll close in a song together this morning? You know, sometimes when I, I think about, um, maybe you've had an event. For me, the event is Aaron. Because it's not just an event, it's a person. But it's like my whole life pre-meeting her. And I'm not trying to sound love sappy and weird by this at all. So if that's the way this is coming across, that's not. In fact, Aaron's like, I posted one thing on Facebook on our anniversary. She's like, that's sweet. I'm like, I just get weird about that. But have you experienced something in life Maybe an event, a meeting, a person, a, a, a some sort of thing where you can actually say, and it could be a positive or negative thing, that your life before that moment, you don't, it's almost like you don't remember it. It's not, it's not there. It's very pulled together. It's, it's, it's not. But once you have that thing, when I met Aaron, it's like my whole world changed. And I say that because I think when we, we talk about Christianity, we talk about the resurrection. So often we're, we're trying to turn this into something that it's really not. That was heavy. That's good. I just got more serious than I was ready to get. That's okay though. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just kind of came in. Uh, not bad though. It was good. Um, when, when we meet Jesus, if you've truly met Jesus, if you've truly met Jesus, and you've experienced his forgiveness, if you've experienced his joy, his embrace, all of those sorts of things, it is a new life. It's not trying harder at your old life. And sometimes, I just think as as Christian leaders, I'm saying this and taking responsibility, sometimes we're so focused on trying to make good people a bit better rather than trying to tell us that the root of this thing and I I don't mean this to sound depressing whatsoever but at your best effort and best energy falls miserably short of God's standard like miserably short I don't care if you're gluten free I don't care if you volunteer at the boys and girls club with all your free time. I don't care if you clean up the church after I kick, th- I'm kidding. It, all of those sorts of things that were, that, that, it doesn't get you up. Like you cannot ascend up into God's affirmation. And if you think you can, you are terribly mistaken. There is nothing you can do to Work your way up to God, ever. So God comes in Christ. And like, for me, a woman on the dance floor extends his hand out and is just like, I accept you in your terrible, awkward, six foot one, I've gained a few pounds though, thankfully, 
dance moves that you hurt more people than you help. Come on, you go out on that dance floor and you're weird and you're wacky. Is anyone better on a dance floor? Do you know what I'm talking about? You experience that moment of like, I am such a goof and what? And you're so, at first you're so nervous about people looking at you. And instead of a person saying, clean up your dance moves, get yourself together, all you look into that other person's eyes is this unconditional love and acceptance. And you start to forget about your old ways and you come alive in something new. Now, if you don't dance today, you have no excuse after this. I'm kidding. Make up a different one. I hope I helped you this morning. I feel like I, this was very abstract, more so than I usually would be. But I want, I want to encourage you to make a step right now in worship to Jesus. To surrender. If you're a believer, if you're not a Christian, we want to engage with you and, and help you walk through that process. If you are a Christian, just join into God's dance floor. Join into the worship of heaven. Don't, like this, they're not a band here like playing at, sometimes I feel like it's like a wedding though. Like you got the music and a handful of us are jumping and moving and then a handful of us are kind of like not really interested. Can we do something that's going to be a, a bit uncomfortable? Would you lift your hands to the Lord right now? The scripture tells us, this is, come on, this is, isn't this like the awkward dance? Can you feel it? Put your left hand in, your right hand out. I know this feels uncomfortable. But we want to lift our hands to the Lord because the Bible tells us we lift up holy hands and we pray. We clap our hands. We lift our voice. We, we do these things unto God. Father, let's just pray right now. Don't be dependent on thy words. Father, in Jesus' name, we come boldly before your throne of grace. Lord, nothing can help us ascend to you. There's nothing in ourselves, not our best effort, not some future effort that we haven't figured out. Nothing can get me to climb up to you. But I celebrate today that you have come down in the form of a little baby you lived a perfect, spotless life. You were forsaken by people. You were forsaken even by the Father. And God, your rejection today is our acceptance, <laughs> both the bad and the good. And we come to you in humble praise and humble worship. In Jesus' name, would you... Just begin to worship him right now. And listen, our hands are already up. I promise you, I say this sometimes, I'll be the weirdest one in the room if that helps you worship him. Sometimes we, we kind of scale when we walk into the room. You know, who's the weirdest one? As long as I'm not the weirdest one, then I'm okay. Listen, if it helps you, I'll be the weirdest one in the room. But let's just give our worship to the Lord. If that means lifting your hands or closing your eyes or something or dancing. It doesn't matter what it is, but just from your heart this morning, would you just accept him right now? Let's sing this song together. Thank you so much.